The Knowledge Series, a podcast from Thomson Reuters. Hello there, my name is Ben Firth. I'm Head of Client Management for HiQ at Thomson Reuters. And today I had the privilege of speaking to Jenny Tallinn. Hello, I'm Jenny Tellin. I'm a knowledge management consultant and I work with the folks at Three Kites Consulting. It was a lengthy discussion and uh, we were unpicking the, I guess, the psychology and the, and the physical challenges of working from home, what that means now, and also just really discussing how things have evolved over the last couple of years with this work at home mentality and how moving forward, if we are going to continue to work in this way, how potentially firms are going to have to become more deliberate in that notion of working together, maybe resetting the uh, code of conduct within a meeting, whether it be online, in person, a hybrid, and really just having to find their way again in making it a successful uh, collaborative experience within the work environment. Jenny and I had such a good conversation, we managed to split this episode into two parts. So once you finish the first one, I hope you get a chance to listen to the second part. And just like with the previous episodes, if you'd like to get in touch, please do so. We'd love to get your comments and feedback as we continue on our series. The Knowledge Series. Right. Good morning, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm looking out the window and it's miserable and we've survived three storms in two weeks, but there are other things going on in the world which are far more challenging right now. So, uh, but yeah, we're in good health. So thank you. Jenny, thanks for taking the time out today. It's really good to get to a chance to say hello and pick your brain, I think is the right way of saying it, of your ideas, your lessons learned, your thoughts around some of the discussions we've been having on this series anyway, around knowledge management and some of the the challenges over the last couple of years. Before we get into that, I'd love to understand a bit about yourself. So in true Scylla Black style, what's your name and where do you come from? (laughs) Well, Scylla, uh, (laughs) I'm Jenny Tellin, and I was in fact born in sunny Watford, uh, very uh, sexy. I now live down by the sea in Hove, actually, just next door to Brighton. So lots of fun on the beach in the summer. And my beach hut is still standing after Storm Eunice. Thank you very much. Well done. But I'm a recovering debt capital markets lawyer. So that's I started out training at Slaughter's in 1997, which is an awfully long time ago, and then was a debt capital markets and structured finance lawyer little bit of world financial crisis starting with the uh, structured finance there, which is a proud moment. And then a knowledge lawyer in uh, Allen and Overy, and then moved over to White and Case as a knowledge lawyer there and uh, some innovation roles to try and make the capital markets lawyers there work more efficiently to actually make some money on their transactions, which is really tricky when the fixed fees are you know, really, really tricky for law firms. And most recently, I've been head of knowledge at Stevenson Harwood. So implementing a variety of KM projects. So enterprise search systems, overhauling a tired and neglected know-how system, moving it to the cloud, helping to embed document automation, the full range of knowledge stuff, and managing the library and research team. And most recently, after my COVID epiphany, which is topical for our discussion today. I have started to work as an independent KM consultant and now have joined Three Kites Consulting. So we are consultants to the professional services industry and help out firms, mostly law firms, but you know other professional services firms uh, with their 
information technology, project management and knowledge management. So very good at bridging the gap between tech nerds and lawyer nerds, explaining how the technology works to the lawyers and how lawyers work to the technologists and bridging that gap. So I get to geek out all day long. Nice, nice. I've, I've worked in the legal tech industry now for about 18 years. And I think it's never so more so now that lawyers are realising technology isn't the enemy. And uh, they actually are realising that and they have done for a while, to be fair, that it's it brings things to their everyday life, which is there to help them and make them better and deliver a, an, an even better service to their clients, which is good. Can I ask you a question? You, and maybe it's something that people might be thinking, you were clearly a, a very driven practicing lawyer for a, in a quite a challenging subject area. What makes someone decide, actually, I want to kind of change my trajectory slightly instead of practicing law, actually start to become almost part of that business processing, knowledge management sort of part of the business? What what were changed and why did you decide to switch tact? I've always had lots of hobbies and interests and friends and things going on outside work. And I think I got to the stage of maybe four or five years qualified where I was thinking I had a client who was a lovely guy who used to ring me up as if I was doing him a favour. Jenny, would you would you do a bond issue for me? Like, okay, yes, I, of course I would. You know, obviously you're paying us to do that, but... <laughs> And I was absolutely underwater, totally, you know, staying up all night on, you know, all this other work. And he rang and said, oh, you know, we've got this new deal. And you're like, you could sort of see at four years qualified, this is where it's going to go, that you want to be building that business case to be a partner. You want to be, you know, generating your own clients. And obviously, that's a good thing for the firm that you're being instructed on a new deal. But I haven't actually got time to do this if I want to actually sleep at any point. So I think I was in the, I don't want this enough to do the silly, silly hours and have the billing pressure and all of that, you know, the risk when you're a partner and the buck stops with you and you've got your team under you possibly making mistakes or, you know, you've got to manage that um, as well as all the BD stuff on top. I think I got to the stage where I thought, oh, I can see how this could escalate in terms of the hours. I don't think I want it enough and I'm not prepared to give up everything else in my life to just do this. So I thought, well, maybe that's not the uh, option. So I'd never really thought of myself. I wasn't an academic sort of lawyer. I didn't really enjoy my law degree hugely um, at university. So I think I'd always sort of seen the knowledge lawyers or the professional support lawyers as, you know, they were known as then as sort of, you know, you're writing learned articles about things and you're, you know, absolute legal experts or whatever. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure that that's necessarily me. There was an opportunity came up at ANO where I was working as an associate at the time to basically start from scratch the, the structured finance know-how side. So actually a greenfield site that I could then sort of decide what my role was. So I decided that was, you know, a lot of training and being really practical. So we're trying to solve practical problems for lawyers. We're not writing learned articles. We're doing, you know, training up the juniors, passing on that knowledge, mentoring, you know, writing forms or whatever. So I think, yeah, I could craft it so that it wasn't a hugely academic sort of exercise, but it was really practical. And obviously, you know, known for their practical application of, of law. So yeah, I think that's where I ended up. And I think, yeah, knowledge management always attracted me in the sense of, I quite like solving problems. And that's what it is. I think at base, you know, you're trying to find out a pain point and see what that means. It's 
often not technology. It's been a constant, hasn't it? It's been a constant within every law firm between all the different changes and, and processes and stuff. And uh, and it's interesting to hear. Now, I think it's really good. Thank you for your, your honest and open backstory because I always find it interesting. I have a friend who's, who was a lawyer and he kind of said the same thing, did a law degree, went to a big, big, big law firm. And he said very early on, he realized there was this kind of race to the top of where you want to get it's that partnership, partnership, partnership. And very quickly, you start to realize as you mature into the role, he was saying that you realize whether that's really what you want to do, or do you want to take that information you've learned and that experience and kind of almost diversify a little bit and, and find your own path that suits you, which you've clearly done. So well done you. And who knows today whether that would actually be the same trajectory, because I think there's way more options now for younger you know, junior lawyers with the flexible working options in terms of your obelisks and your lawyers on demand and elevates and peer points you know if you can work on a more flexible basis and you can take your school holidays off you can work on a project and then take six weeks out or whatever you know you can be a lot more flexible with the way you work if you do it through those sorts of models so so let's let's recall what it was like working before the pandemic and when I say working let's imagine the situation you you've said to your you're a practicing lawyer and you've said to your boss or your partner I'm going to work at home tomorrow I know there's a couple of calls we've got some meetings but is that all right you know what what was it like back then as a lawyer in that situation I think in a lot of firms, the perception was, well, you'll be on the golf course, <laughs> uh, possibly because they might have been. I remember as a, a knowledge lawyer, you know, back in the day, taking the phone to the loo with me when I was working at home, because you're like, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not working. And you're like, you know, they could ring at any moment. And therefore, you know, you've diverted your phone from your desk phone. um, And you don't want anyone to possibly have any suggestion that you might be in Tesco's or having a lovely time. So I think, yeah, I I remember sort of trying to get hold of a person who was working at home and was, you know, they're working at home. So they're uncontactable. Like, okay uh you know it was that sort of strange perception and actually we talk about this like it's ancient ancient history I think that there's still some people because I've heard you know some firms are still having these discussions about you know some partners saying I want everyone in all of the time because that's how I work and I think that it's impossible for people to learn without being there every day the historical trust is something that whatever industry you're in there was generally this whole kind of trust challenge i think but also the technology was not quite there in the same way or maybe it was but firms was just weren't using it uh and that's something that we've unearthed recently with uh talking to another person on another podcast where they realized during the pandemic they actually had this electronic signature platform that they could use but no one ever used it because everyone was in the office doesn't matter it was on the word ribbon all the time even if you hadn't got docusign you could insert your signature and uh, oh could we we'll have to go through a risk committee to decide if we can do it or not but do some thinking around it but yeah I think the big change for me has been maybe before work was where you go not what you do and I think that's a big thing that's changed in terms of people's mindsets but I suppose you know for me I've always worked in global international law firm so you always had that element where you were working with someone in another office your client isn't in London and therefore you've always had that idea of being you know somebody in the team is remote whether they're at home in their bedroom or actually they're in Abu Dhabi or whatever and I think you know firms with offshore or nearshore centres or global operations 
you're maybe used to working in those remote teams, but I don't know. I think it was still a revolution overnight. You know, people who absolutely would not have entertained a video call pre-pandemic are suddenly overnight, well, I've got to do this now. And literally all over the Microsoft Teams or whatever app the firm's supporting. I think the businesses or the companies have all embraced a new way of running meetings. I think there's been one thing that I realized was in the Teams world, as we are, we're a Teams or a Zoom, or it doesn't really matter which platform, is that people have started to realize that actually on the online world, one of the advantages is everybody has an equal space. So in a meeting with 20 people, in the old world, you'd be in a big room and there's great advantages to that. But then occasionally you might have somebody in the room who who doesn't speak up because they're overpowered by the noise and the people and the surroundings. But actually what we've seen is, as, as maybe you have as well, is that actually everybody has their own, you know, four by three square that they sit in on that meeting and they do have the ability to be equal in certain scenarios quite nicely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a good point. And I think, you know, it's one of the challenges now with firms coming back to the office, which obviously we've had a bit of a hokey-cokey situation in terms of being in and out. And, you know, maybe firms are actually only really this week, last week, you know, coming back fully in the UK. Obviously, other jurisdictions have still got restrictions in place. I think that's a real challenge and that equity point of making sure that everyone's got that equal seat at the table is really important and I think even on Zoom or Teams or whatever you're using that can be really tricky I think you know at the beginning of the pandemic when people were having their daily or weekly team calls because they were really conscious that they need to deliberately reach out to their people make sure people are all right you know it it was all weird and new some of those meetings now people are really struggling to get people to put their cameras on You've got that Zoom fatigue element where you literally sit there from seven in the morning till seven at night on a camera. And actually some firms starting to think about not mandating people having their cameras on. And obviously you're also now in the situation where you've got some people actually physically in the room, some people not in the room. And actually, how do you guard against going back to those bad old days of being the only person on the phone someone's rustling their papers next to the microphone you can't hear anything no one's looking at the chat when they're in the room so you've got 20 people in the room there's 20 people online no one's looking at the chat with someone saying uh you know i'm really trying to get a word in edgeways here and they're, they're not you know you've got maybe too many people in the meeting to see everyone on one screen so they can't see that you're you know waving frantically so i think you know we've learned an awful lot about how to do those zoom meetings effectively starting with high energy rather than oh we'll just give it another few minutes and you know your training session sort of limps into existence rather than you know a really sort of energetic start do you make people have their cameras on using all the interactivity functions of whiteboards and breakout rooms and that sort of thing to try and you know have that engagement with people and I think speaking to knowledge lawyers around the city trying to actually get that engagement and make you know, legal training or team meetings or whatever it is, you know, really effective, really takes some effort. Talking about the KM side, what did the pandemic do to the KM world? I think a lot of firms really, when they were in that really early stages of the lockdown, certainly in the UK, scrabbling around thinking, oh, you know, how do you do a video call? You know, what are we doing about legal training? How do you electronically execute a document? How do you do a virtual hearing? Those were the moments where your KM team really 
showed its value. We are all over these issues. We're talking to our colleagues at other firms, as we always do in the sort of industry groups, you know, really able to respond really quickly. A lot of KM teams obviously have the intranets under their sort of things to curate and therefore that really vital communication tools, thinking about, you know, firms that introduce teams or whatever from, you know, a new technology. How do you actually curate some of those new channels of communication? These are all areas. And obviously, you know, KM, one of our big selling points is collaboration. That's what we do. We help people share knowledge and come together. So actually, you know, learning from your KM team about how to do that effectively. I think firms really saw KM teams showing their value. I suppose we've always been doing those things. You know, we've always been there to help you work more effectively, to help lawyers work smarter, not harder, all of those sort of things. But it really shone a light on it. And I think that was really helpful. Yeah, I think what I kind of picked up on, if you think about the old world, is that everyone was in the building, but everybody was almost decentralised. Everyone was doing their own thing. And you were deliberately pulled into the room for a specific reason, maybe. Oh, got the KM guys coming down. They're going to help you with this today. And what I've realised and seen over this pandemic is that amalgamation of of resource and team and focus for the greater good of the firm. And so your involvement now has as in the KM world, seems to have been just spread across, you know, you've got fingers and all the pies, so to speak. And and that's because of, you know, the technology and and actually maybe lawyers have learned to build relationships that they didn't previously have. And I certainly have got relationships within my business or people I probably would never have really interacted with on the shop floor. I've had to go off and learn and find and, and explore and those are the right people to speak to. So maybe, you know, maybe that's what it is. I think, you know, KM, we've always had our fingers in pies all over the firm, but maybe the examples of what we do and when you're trying to do your elevator pitch on, so KM, what what even is that? It was way easier because you had some really not abstract, absolutely practical examples of how are you going to electronically execute the document for your transaction? We're the ones who did the guidance, rolled out DocuSign, whatever you know, obviously in partnership with your IT folks, but you, you've got these really practical examples of how we just helped you literally this morning rather than, oh, AI, or oh, what's that, more abstract things, which I don't know, lawyers obviously are sceptical beasts at the best of times. So if you're not helping them with a problem. Yeah. So did you think with the lawyer, you know, with that pandemic and stuff, like, you know, if we talk about training, okay. So training is a big part of the KM world, education, information and so forth. Do you think the lawyers responded well to to training um, during the pandemic or were they very much like, oh, I haven't got time for this? Yeah, I think it was an interesting one. Game of two halves, perhaps with a football metaphor. I think initially when the lockdown in the UK certainly first happened, I think there was knowledge lawyers seeing an uptick in attendance at training sessions. You had the genie out of the bottle in terms of doing global training. It was everyone's online and therefore, you know, the opportunity then to invite people from other offices, if you've got an international firm, was right there. Obviously, some time zone issues, but, you know, that was way easier. And I think, you know, attendance did go up initially because people were keen for that human contact. You're sitting, you know, possibly on your own in your house and wanting that connection. I think as the pandemic has gone on, possibly as the novelty of Zoom and Teams and all of that has worn off, perhaps 
that engagement has maybe slipped a little bit. And, you know, even if people are in the online training meeting, I think there's maybe a, a sense from a lot of teams that unless you have deliberately thought about how you're going to make that session engaging, you haven't really got an idea whether people are actually listening to anything. So you're projecting your seminar to a room full of cameras off people possibly sending emails because they're basically at their desk. And it's if you were sitting physically in a room, you'd notice if someone was checking their emails and not really listening. I think that engagement, seeing L&D teams and, and knowledge lawyer teams really sharing with each other their tips on actually how to do this engagingly, you know, picking on people, trying to normalize asking questions to actual individuals so that people aren't, you know, frightened of it, holding your nerve when you've asked a question, when there's absolute silence to get people to warm up, you know, how do you actually facilitate those sessions so that people are actually properly engaging, making people do things in breakout rooms to get them talking to each other? We've seen exactly the same. I, I think we we had exactly the same challenge and we are riding that wave right now. I think the early days was like, oh, this is exciting. We've got, we do this. And, you know, if you think about online training, you can rewatch things, you can pause, you can practice, you can do it at your pace. And for some people, this is fantastic because they can complete the training in the, in the way that they want to get it done. But at the same time, we, in my company, we are rolling out very shortly a brand new, um, a brand new order processing platform. And we've had to sit through two and a half hours of online training, you know, with modules and tests and so forth. And I'll be honest, I think, you know, probably right in any platform right now, it's tiring and it's boring. And the one thing I'm missing, having deployed IT systems for a number of years is, do you know what I really miss? The good old floor walkers. I miss the people who would, you know, the big go live day of a project. The branded cupcakes. Oh my yeah. goodness. You walk in the office and you go, it's go live day because there is branded cupcakes. There is random stationery and there is, there are people with high vis jackets going here to help. And, and so and these guys and girls are, you know, walking up and down and, and I miss that. And that's something that I said to the project lead of this, this, this uh, project we, we go live with uh, in, uh, in April, I said, can we make sure we go live on the Wednesday? Because that's the day when we're all supposed to be in the office that week. And they were like, oh, I haven't thought about that. And the reason why, because it's a go, it's a global go live day. So they're going to think about that and how they deploy. But that's just my opinion. But, it, you know, and I think that's the one piece that's from a deployment and a training, I think missing the go live day in terms of that floor walking. And I think, you know, there is fatigue in my previous life I found in the last few months, it seemed like every vendor in the universe of a research platform or whatever was changing platforms and, you know, trying to then fit that in amongst the sort of business as usual, keeping the lights on of the research service. We've now got to do some comms, test the platform. Your mission as a knowledge management team is to help your lawyers do their jobs better and better serve their clients. Lawyers, we were finding, are just got impatient or hadn't got the headspace for a new system. I'm overwhelmed trying to do my job and the homeschooling and the dog walk and the, you know, um, you know, trying not to be on my laptop till four o'clock in the morning because of my well-being that I'm now supposed to be doing alongside this. If your technology isn't going to actually prove really useful or be something that I can use right from the get-go and it's really easy and intuitive as a user interface, 
I haven't the headspace for it. I can't, I can't take on any new ways of doing things and certainly not tech for tech's sake. So I don't know. I think that how to get new tech adopted and how to roll these things out is a real challenge for KM and IT teams because not just for the remote thing, but just, you know, how do you actually get people's attention and, you know, show that it's something worth their attention? Absolutely. Do you know what? what's really interesting there? I think now, I think with the way that we are, the consumer is very impatient and the attention span is getting of everybody seems to be getting less and less. And so we, we are impatient naturally now. And so with technology and information feeds, if you think about it, we spend we, we, we get our information now, you know, on technology that we just scroll up and down, we're flicking up and down, we're all reading stuff and absorbing stuff at such a different pace. And so I guess from a from a lawyer's perspective, unless they can take it on board in bite sized chunks, and fast, and there isn't much heavy lifting required for them to be successful at what they're trying to achieve, then, you know, they'll, they'll go for it. And I think you don't want solutions in search of a problem. Yes. Fine. Yeah, you've built this whizzy thing. Brilliant. Nice one. Get a medal. But I, I don't know how this is really going to help me day to day in terms of my actual work that I'm trying to do. And I think, you know, knowledge management teams have always been really mindful of attention management. So how to manage this excess connectivity, one of the sort of the cons of the remote working, hybrid working life now is that over-connectedness it's all very nice that I'm flexible, but if I've now got to sit on a phone call to Sydney at 10 o'clock at night, that might be tricky because I've literally had to start my day at seven o'clock in the morning to do some work before the children went to school or whatever. So I think, you know, there's how to manage this excess connectivity and limiting the number of collaboration tools that are available because it can be really overwhelming and confusing for people. Like, am I supposed to be on a Slack channel here or a Teams channel or am I on email or am I on another instant messenger? Or So would you say that knowledge management have helped or will continue to define the strategy? Because traditionally, you know, those sorts of things around technology were were designed and signed off on by the, you know, the IT director. Okay. And they would sit in their room and they go, no, we, we're going to use this, this and this. How much influence does the knowledge management team now have in that process? Yeah, I mean, they should have lots stroke some, whether in practice that happens, who knows. And I think, you know, a lot of firms in the early days of the pandemic where people were having to respond to, we just need a video platform that works and we need it absolutely now. You know, maybe uh, we've heard from a lot of firms that Teams perhaps was deployed and the governance around it wasn't necessarily totally thought through right from the get-go, partly because it was a big rush, but also because you wanted to see how it would go down. It was pretty new and not sure how people would use it. And you're also trying to give people a tool that they can go to town on and really find useful. And, you know, firms not wanting to put barriers up um, around and lo loads of rules around things. But actually, you know, how do you then manage the number of channels that have been set up and the number of teams that there's a sector group here and there's a practice group here and the trainees have got a group and the knowledge lawyers have got a group you know where exactly are you then getting your information from and obviously that's then a whole heap of other silos of knowledge that maybe isn't being searched by your enterprise search system it's not in your document management system it's a whole other place for people to have to go to 
you've got technology in the shadows then you've, you've almost got technology operating in the shadows outside of the mainstream and i, I totally see that and i i see that now with teams now and you expand the teams section there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of groups that just fire up and then it becomes the teams thing which I, I joke with my wife about is that you never want to be the person who leaves a group and that's the whole the, the whole technology challenge oh you can't leave that whatsapp group well why not because they might see that you've left and then it's not really good and i'm like no one cares but anyway it's a double-edged thing you know obviously part of the knowledge teams remit is to encourage collaboration exactly. and it's great that people are finding spaces to share knowledge ask questions collaborate together I suppose it's when it's hidden or that equity point that you raised earlier. How do you make sure that everyone or the right people have access to the seats at the table if you're excluding people because, you know, they they aren't in that in crowd or whatever, you know, you're excluding people from decision making and groups. I think, you know, it's something that knowledge teams, HR teams are grappling with in terms of how do you rein that back in now that it's sort of out there without looking like the fun police? The Knowledge Series. For more information, go to legalsolutions.thompsonreuters.co.uk.